Thank you, Ann. Let's pray. Proverbs chapter 3. Long life is in her hand, in her right hand, and in her left hand are riches and honour. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all her paths are peace. She's a tree of life to those who embrace her. Those who lay hold of her will be blessed. Dear Heavenly Father, your wisdom to us is life and riches. The way of your path is pleasant and the way of your wisdom is peace. So I ask, Father, that you would direct us now and lead us down these paths of peace to this tree of life, that we may embrace it, lay hold of it, and so be blessed for Jesus' sake. Amen. That was a great question Jez came up with. Uh, Lots of proverbial statements are offered to children, not just children, but particularly children. My mum's favourite saying to us when we were growing up was, never trust a skinny cook. We come across lots of these pieces of advice. Don't don't, uh, count your chickens before they're hatched. If at first you don't succeed, you're about average. It's easier to seek forgiveness than to ask for permission. A bad worker always blames his tools. And isn't this what we've got in the book of Proverbs? Just pithy little sayings about life, perhaps, from God. Well, it's not. That's not what the book of Proverbs is about. Proverbs are not kind of little bite-sized pieces of pop psychology to keep us going throughout the day. Proverbs differs from all these sources of so-called wisdom. I mean, we're in the information age, aren't we? We're bombarded with information. We don't lack any information or access to information with the internet. But we do lack great wisdom. And wisdom has an ability to discern all the information. And so if any day and age needed wisdom, it's ours. Because there's so much information out there. And we need to discern what's right and wrong, what's wise and what is foolish. And the book of Proverbs, I think, helps us to do that. It helps us live in an information age because it gives us wisdom as the grid in order to interpret all this information that comes at us. Last Sunday we saw that in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is a person. Anyone know what? Can anyone remember? Um, make my day. Uh, <laughs> who is that person in the book of Proverbs? This woman. This woman crying out. Wisdom is personified. Today, what I'm going to do is uh, look at chapter one, and we're going to see there. Uh, the five or six characteristics of wisdom. Next week we're going to apply some of these characteristics to a particular and important aspect of our lives and that is our words. One of the major focuses in the book of Proverbs are kind of two organs, the heart and the mouth. And so next week we're going to look at the importance and the nature of our words in terms of wisdom. We had chapter 1 read to us, and you might have seen a bit of a structure there. Because in the first seven verses, if you want to open up to Proverbs chapter 1, we find that the title, we, we find the goal 
the essence of what the whole book is about in verses 1 to 7. And then in the following verses of chapter 1, we have this illustration of how we should apply wisdom in verses 8 following. The chapter ends with this invitation to live in wisdom. And so I want to give us a bit of a sense of what wisdom is like in the book of Proverbs, particularly in chapter 1, but in the book, um, hopefully, in, in some form of its entirety. So the first aspect or the first characteristic of wisdom is that it is royal in origin. The book there in verse 1 opens up by telling us that Solomon is the author of Proverbs. Now, Solomon isn't the only human author in the book. We hear the voices of some other uh, speakers, for example, that of Agur and King Lamalu, sayings of the wise, even, um, very interestingly, some Egyptian sayings that are incorporated into the book of Proverbs. And so there are some other voices, but the main voice in the book of Proverbs is that of Solomon, King Solomon. And so the whole book has this royal kind of courtly feel. Uh, Mandy and I are watching The Crown. Has anyone seen the Netflix series The Crown? Well, this is the context. It's, It's like The Crown. It's the royal court here. And it's important that we kind of understand that this is the backdrop to the book. I mean, the book of Proverbs even addresses appropriate behaviour uh, in front of royalty in chapters 16 and 31. Solomon is the main author of this book, and some of us might recall that Solomon has a special connection with wisdom. Uh, back in 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 9, when King Solomon feels the weight of responsibility in terms of leading his people as king, he asks God one thing, and he asks this in 1 Kings 3 verse 9, so give to your servant, speaking to God, a discerning heart or a wise heart to govern your people and distinguish between right and wrong. And God answered that prayer of Solomon. One Kings tells us that Solomon spoke over 3,000 proverbs. Solomon had this reputation for wisdom such that all in the area, not just in Israel, but all, we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4, Solomon's wisdom was greater than all the wisdom of all the men in the east and greater than the wisdom of Egypt. All his fame spread to all the surrounding nations. So God was gracious in answering Solomon's prayer for wisdom. And what we have is, in this book, the collection of of his wisdom, his his training course, if you like, for wisdom, because Solomon wants to pass this wisdom on. I mean, this wisdom has attracted the attention of the whole ancient world. And he wants to pass it on. He wants to pass it on especially to his sons who are going to be in the same situation he is, but he knows that they're not endowed with wisdom, that he, the wisdom that he's been giving. He knows that they need to distinguish between good and evil. And this is the crazy thing about the Old Testament. Even though Solomon was endowed with such wisdom, he became a fool. He dies a fool. 
and his sons that read this book die fools. And every king in Israel, to some extent in his life, is a fool. See, the message of the Old Testament is clear. We need another king. We need a wiser king. We need a king who can not only know what is good and what is evil, but act in a way that is good and that is not evil. And that's what we have in David's greatest son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we saw that Jesus has a special relationship to wisdom. The book of Proverbs imagines the creation of the world and wisdom is part, is is there as creation comes into being. This wisdom is a person. And we see as the Lord Jesus comes to us in the New Testament, we see his connection with wisdom. He was there in the beginning as God's right hand of wisdom in creation. And as the one who created in wisdom enters our world, just we've celebrated it, celebrated it at Christmas, we see that he has a connection with wisdom. Uh, the wise men come to worship him. Remember that story when Jesus was growing up? And uh, I don't know if you ever got lost at the shops. Uh, I got lost at the shops. Apparently my mum was freaking out. Well, Jesus got lost at the temple. Uh, his parents were halfway home, sounds like it, and they came back to him and there he was. Um, we're told in Luke chapter 2, verse 46... Everyone who heard Jesus was amazed at his understanding and his answers. Even as a young boy, he embodied wisdom. And we're told in verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and statue in favour with God and men. See, in the Bible, wisdom has not just a connection with Solomon, But ultimately, wisdom has a connection with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if we're going to open up the book of Proverbs, we have to open it with Jesus in mind. And so that's why, as we read the book of Proverbs, we want to turn to the New Testament and see how the Old Testament and the New Testament come together in terms of wisdom, how, in fact, we need both. The wisdom that we find in the New Testament extends on the wisdom of Proverbs. We will, in other words, we want to go from Solomon to Jesus. The wisdom we find in the New Testament doesn't replace the book of Proverbs, it extends upon it. And so we want to read the book of Proverbs with Jesus in mind. Because if you think about it, in, if the book of Proverbs has his royal background, if it's written for a court, it's a court of the Lord Jesus that we are, as Christians are a part of. We're servants, attenders of this king. It's Jesus' royal reign that consumes us and our minds and our lives. He's reigning now and his reign isn't yet complete but one day it will be. We're waiting for his ultimate reign when he will be all in all. One writer puts it this way, Proverbs has echoes of Eden and whispers of the coming kingdom. That's why when Jesus comes, he comes as the wise kid who grows up into the wise man to bring about, what does he bring? A kingdom, a kingdom of of wisdom, a 
kingdom of wisdom. Proverbs looks back to creation. It's got, it's got Genesis in mind. And as it's got Genesis in mind, it's got you know, the fabric of our creation, the order of our creation all worked into the book. You work hard, what does it produce? Crops and wealth. And yet at the same time, we know that that doesn't always happen. You can work hard and the crops don't come because of fire or drought. And so the, the second aspect of the book of Proverbs is it's, it's got the creation in mind, but it's also got the fall in mind. And it puts those two things together. The book of Proverbs gives us a, a whisper of the future when the king of kings will set up his kingdom where justice actually will reign and people will live in harmony with one another and with creation. And so it's good for us to think of the book of Proverbs in this way because I think when I read the book of Proverbs, I feel somewhat rebuked. I don't feel like a wise person reading the book of Proverbs. But I think in one sense that's good because ultimately the book of Proverbs points us forward to the one who saves fools, to the one who gives us help for this creation and the next, where peace and righteousness will dwell forever. So we need to read the book of Proverbs as thankful people that God has saved us. These are not instructions that we have to follow in order to be saved. No, as Christian believers, we have confidence that if we trust in Jesus, we are his, and how we live in the world that he has made, that's what the book of Proverbs helps us do. So secondly, you see there, the second aspect of wisdom is that it's rich in variety. Verses 2 to 6, the author tells us that he's writing this book because wisdom is transferable. Uh, money is pretty transferable these days. You can just do it on your phone, right? Wisdom is transferable. It can be spread. It can be given even more easily than money. And the assumption here as the book begins is that we by nature are foolish. Left to ourselves, we don't fear God. We don't worship God. We don't bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need a new heart and we need to pursue the wisdom of God. And this is what the book of Proverbs is about. It's making foolish people like us helping us become wise. But we need to know what wisdom means. If we want to be wise, what does wisdom actually mean? Well, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom isn't just one thing. It's quite hard to pin down. Uh, Like I said last week, wisdom isn't just being smart. It's got very little to do with your IQ. You can have a high IQ but be a fool and have a low IQ, but be, be wise in the book of Proverbs. In one sense, probably most purely, wisdom is just practical. Wisdom is practical. Have a look there in verse 2. It's, he's writing for the attaining of wisdom and discipline. One Old Testament scholar says that wisdom is the skill of living. It's practical knowledge. Often we separate those two. There's practical kind of aspects of life and there's the thinking and knowledge kind of aspects of life. Well, the book of Proverbs doesn't make that separation. It puts the two 
together. Wisdom involves skill for living in, in all aspects of life, in terms of family and finances and friendships and speech and what you do with your life. So wisdom involves an understanding about how the world works. And throughout the book of Proverbs, that's illustrated. But secondly, wisdom is um, instruction there in verse 2. So it's not just an information dump. Okay? You can't plug into wisdom. Uh, I don't know how you might have studied for exams. Pretty well, the information went in the night before. I did the exam and it went out the day after. And you might say that's not a very wise way to study. Well, you're right. But that's not how we obtain wisdom. You can't swat or cram for wisdom because it's not just about a a scientific or technical knowledge. Um, Some people are very technically minded um, but hopeless at doing the shopping. Uh, Wisdom has this sense of instruction. And and in verse 2 there, that that word for instruction could be translated as correction or discipline. Um, It's interesting, isn't it? No no one really wants to be a fool or no one thinks of themselves normally as a fool. We like the idea of wisdom. Not many of us like the idea of being rebuked. And yet that's part of wisdom. Part of wisdom is being corrected. To be wise, we must humbly recognise that we aren't always wise. That's one of the foundations of the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is insight or understanding. Insight, in one sense, is a knowledge that, that sees a situation properly. It helps us size up how to act and speak. Wisdom reads people and contexts and acts in an appropriate way. And that's why, as we saw last week, wisdom is often associated with these her friends. Her friends are prudence and discretion. And ultimately we see that in the Lord Jesus, which didn't, you know, Jesus didn't even just know that how to answer people's questions. He knew their questions before they even asked it and indeed he knew their hearts from where their questions were coming. You can see how Jesus embodies wisdom. Wisdom is instruction. It's got this sense of correction. It's not just information about stuff. And probably most importantly, something that's lost in our modern world particularly if we think about, say, the business world and how it operates. It's very keen um, to, to take hold of wisdom, the way the world works. But what it's less keen on taking hold of is morality or ethics because in our modern world, often in lots of spheres of life, we separate the two. So we go, what works is one aspect And what's right or moral, ethical is another aspect. But that's not what the book of Proverbs does. It it ties the two together and says, actually, they're inseparable. Because have a look at verse 3. Wisdom is not what works. Wisdom is not the past of least resistance. 
It's not going with what everyone else says in terms of the majority. It's doing what is right and just and fair. So wisdom has this, not just knowing how the world works, that is one aspect, but it has this sense of doing what is right in how the world works. And what's fascinating in verse 3, see those three characteristics of wisdom? Right, just and fair. Do you know how they're normally used in the Bible? They're normally used to describe God himself. In Psalm 9, Psalm 33, Psalm 89, Psalm 96, God is described in that order, right, just and fair. So wisdom means that you have the ability to know and do what is right. Proverbs 3 verse 27 says this, Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to do it. I think that proverb implies that you have a sense of who um, deserves to be served. So wisdom would tell us not to compromise our integrity because that is foolishness. And wisdom has this ability to distinguish between good and evil. That's why it's very interesting in the book of Proverbs. Some people think the book of Proverbs is just like there's um, lots of wisdom books in the ancient uh, world and people think that the book of Proverbs is just another wisdom book. But what's interesting about the book of Proverbs is the way, um, and this has only become apparent pretty well in the last 100 years to scholars, is the way the book of Proverbs is so tied into the rest of the Bible. For example, the book of Proverbs, um, in terms of morality, is closely connected with God's law. Okay, so it's not, it's not as if you've got God's law, do not murder, okay, right and wrong, and then you've got wisdom over here, how to live well. No, those two are together. Wisdom and morality are linked. Proverbs is closely related to God's law, and we see God's law referred throughout the book of Proverbs, something I hadn't seen um, until recently in chapter 1, verse 8, chapter 3, verse 1, 4, verse 2. There's heaps of references. Um, because the way, in order, the way to become wise is by doing what is right. And by doing what is right is a form of wisdom. That's why the book of Proverbs has this great emphasis on the human heart. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. How do you not just know what is right and live it? Well, you've got to have your heart transformed. You've got to have your heart changed. And like we saw last week, wisdom has there in verse 4, both discretion and prudence. Again, another kind of reference to the two friends of wisdom. Prudence involves the ability to use a degree of clarity or reason under the fear of God to navigate life's problems. Um, the, the concept of prudence in the Old Testament isn't flapping about like a, head, like a chook with its head cut off. That's not prudent it's a, there's a carefulness. It's not recklessly running into a decision prudence. And the other th- aspect there, the other friend, is discretion. And you see that really in the next chapters, chapters 2 to 7, because 
Solomon's sons need discretion to avoid the lure, the seduction of um, what is foolishness and to indeed hear the call of Lady Wisdom. Chapter 2, verse 11 says, Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. See what he's saying? He's saying wisdom, when it's not put in the right place, is ruined. Okay, it's only truly beautiful, it's only actually wise if it's in the right place. And knowing how to apply the right thing at the right time in the right place, guess what that is? That's wisdom, Book of Proverbs says. In fact, there's, there's almost a contradictory nature in the Book of Proverbs. If you want to flick over to Proverbs chapter 26, um, if you don't, that's okay. But Proverbs chapter 26 has this contradictory little section. Verses 4 and 5 of Proverbs 26 says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly. That's quite a famous one, isn't it? Or you make him, so or you will be like him yourself. And then the very next ver- verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. They sound contradictory. Should you say something? Yes. Should you not? No. Don't say something. Well, how do you know what to do? <laughs> you need to read the whole book. You need wisdom to be able to discern what is right in the right place at the right time. You see, wisdom is not a formula. It's not just knowing stuff and information and trying to shove it in because you're right. Now, wisdom has a degree of discretion. Thirdly, uh, third aspect, characteristic of wisdom is that it's universal in application. It's clear that this book of Proverbs has this royal audience. It's the court that um, Solomon imagines here, but it's not limited to those in the court. Solomon wants a whole nation to live wisely. The first seven chapters are addressed to Solomon's sons, but the rest of the book isn't, so I assume that it's not just for his sons, it's for everyone. There's a broad audience in mind. In fact, in the prologue, in this opening section there, in verses 2 and 3, Proverbs is addressed to people. And more specifically, it's addressed to the simple-minded. Sometimes that's translated as youth, and there might be a connection between youthfulness and simple-mindedness. It's probably better simple-minded. Now, the simple are neither wise nor foolish. Um, It's okay to be simple-minded. It's not okay to be foolish. To be simple-minded is just to be uninformed that you haven't been exposed to wisdom. Uh, we might kind of translate this concept as immature, uh, to, be, um, to be simple is to be immature. Uh, the book also addresses the mature or the wise. Have a look at there in verse 5. Uh, so you're so wise you don't need to read the book of Proverbs. Well, mm, verse 5. And the only person whom the book of Proverbs is not for is the fool. Wisdom is available to everyone. In fact, wisdom calls on everyone. But the fool will despise it. 
So wisdom is for anyone who wants it, but the fool won't get it. So if we want to be wise, we have to be teachable. And much of what the world puts forth as wisdom is in fact foolish. Worldly wisdom often just living in our world, we get this sense that if you want to be rich, then there's a degree where you have to focus on yourself. Where greed is in fact something, although the word isn't like, the concept is. But godly wisdom says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 24, one gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Worldly wisdom says money and the more of it. The more money you have, the more happy you will be. So get as much as you can. But the book of wisdom, godly wisdom says, Proverbs 11 verse 28, whoever trusts in his riches will fall. Worldly wisdom says, if, if you want to get ahead in life, what you, do, what you have to do is you have to promote yourself. But godly wisdom says in Proverbs chapter 27, verse 2, let another praise you and not your own mouth. Worldly wisdom says you've just got to be friends with your kids because if you're not their friends, they'll resent you when you grow older. But godly wisdom says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 24, he who loves his son is diligent to discipline him. You see, in the book of Proverbs, wisdom is for everyone. Now, I've, uh, I've run out of time. Uh, you might be pleased to know. And so let me, um, without uh, spending too much time on those last two, we may pick them up later on, let me ask us, let me close just with this story. Um, a couple of hundred years ago, there was this very famous Anglican minister. And uh, like most Anglican ministers, his IQ was off the charts. <laughs> As a joke. No, but this guy seriously was. He, he was a child genius, a prodigy. David Watson was his name, and he entered Cambridge, um, you know, the, the centre of the world's brain trust. He entered Cambridge at age 17. And he wrote a biography of becoming a Christian there at Cambridge because when he came to Cambridge, he was a very firm atheist, a humanist, as they called it back then. But he was invited to this Bible study. And a student, a very average student, asked him at this Bible study, in all that you know, do you know God? In all that you know, do you know God? And in that moment, here is this bright, young, prodigious man with the world at his footsteps. He knew so many things, but he knew that he didn't know the most essential. And in that Bible study, as he read God's wisdom, he became a Christian. And he would be used by God very powerfully to bring many to know him. And so we need to ask ourselves the same question as we think about wisdom. In all that you know, I want to ask you this morning, do you know God? Come to Jesus, who says, 
This is eternal life, that they may know God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is the wisest thing that we could ever do. Amen. Do you, know, do you have the weight and stuff? The weight? Let it praise.
Now I'll be uh, prayer, uh, leading us to think a little bit about our relationship with God. Well, I'm actually going to pray exclusively about the national crisis we face, so I don't think I have to explain why I'm doing that. I'm not going to pray for the Archbishop or anything like that. I think he'll survive one week without our prayers. I really do. Um, But we are in a very difficult position and uh, I think it would be right to concentrate just on what we face and how God will help us to get out of it. Father, thank you for the fact that you are Lord of history, that you began human civilization with Adam and Eve, that you revealed your grace, your covenants of mercy to Israel. And we thank you that through the prophets and through your continuous work in the nation of Israel, you spoke 